This is a song from my mommy. How do you spell it? Give me an M. smile when y'all did the woohoos. Uh, only at New Life do y'all figure that out. By the way, uh, several people have asked why there's bling on my um, koozie here. Uh, it says, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't John's. Um, <laughs> uh, Charlotte Swallow found this and it says hot mess. And if you go back to the first sermon of this series, we talked about hot messes and she thought I needed that on my stand. So that's what that is. Um, moms, stand up. Um, we're going to give you a card to Bath and Body Works. We want you to smell good. Stand up. You don't get a card if you don't stand up or raise your hand or something. Um, so uh, our kids are coming around. When you get one, you can go ahead and be seated. We love you, and we like how you smell when you go to Bath and Body Works. So uh, that's our kind of heart, our theme. 
Uh, let me give you a couple announcements while they're doing that. Um, baby dedication has been moved to June 4th. If you want to uh, stand up here in front of the church and say you will do all you can to, to bring this kid up in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we as a church will pray with you and we'll do everything we can to lead your kids to Christ. That's what baby dedication is. Write, your, write on the back of the card of your registration card that you want to do that and the name of your child or children. We will give you a, a, a certificate a life verse and a Bible for that, those children, but we got to know how many are coming. Um, June 10th, 8 a.m. is men's ministry breakfast, not a working event. Um, so we're going to eat and we're going to plan. One of the things we did in the past was we shot uh, targets back here on our land. We shot skeet and we, that's just one of the options. We just want to plan out some fun events for the men and um, we, we will make you work occasionally, but not, to, not this one, not this one. Uh, our next church membership class is June 11th. Um, that's after church. If you're interested in joining, write that on the back of your card. If you need childcare, put that on your car- card as well. We will feed you and take care of your kids. And it takes about an hour as soon as church is out. And the, uh, you see, you need to be signed up for the preteen retreat. It's, it, deadlines are coming. So we need you signed up and paid. And then the youth raffle, they're going to be drawing next Sunday after the second service. So if you want to get those tickets, be sure and get those. All of the money goes to send kids towards camp. Um, we have three baskets in the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give here. I said in the first service, we don't pass the basket. We ask you to pass the basket and drop something in there, or you can give online in lccp.com. We have a second basket, our registration card basket. That is, if you have prayer concerns, write those on the back of your card. If you have answers to prayer, put those on there. Um, I, I do pray through those several times during the week. Not that my prayers are any different than your prayers. I just want to join you in what God is doing in your life. If you have a mess, I want to ask God to lead you out of that mess. So um, write that on there and I'll be praying for you. Then we have a bagel basket. Building a great life. Everything that goes in there, we actually, we still give $2,177 a month. That was our mortgage payment. We paid off our mortgage several years ago. We still pay that into our uh, bagel fund and then people give to that. Some folks tithe and give to the bagel fund. It allows us to pay cash for everything that we build. We are never going to go into debt again. We've declared that before the Lord. And so five to seven years from now, when we build a new worship center out here, we want to have cash. So everything that builds up in there will eventually pay for that. We, we want to pay cash. We're not going to go into debt. So, uh, as people give, we'll save for that in the future. All right. We're in our series address this mess. And, and this is something that my family did a couple of weeks ago. We went to the color run. Now, how many of you have done a color run? I'd never done a color run before. To me, it just, I just never had any desire to do a color run, but my girls wanted to do it. And as a dad, you do those things. And so we go to the YMCA and, um, we go and we run and they have these gates that you run through. And when they're there, powdered uh, paint that they throw on you and it gets all over you and you see the cloud in the back at the end as if we didn't have enough uh, paint all over us Ryan has everybody come in and get two handfuls and then we count down and we throw it and it was so thick the fog was so thick you could not see for a while in fact when I got home I took off one of my contacts because it was driving me nuts I put it in my solution and pink paint just kind of came out of my contact that's how bad this was so I discovered a couple of things Um, I was the last one to clean up from the color run I was the last one to get in the shower. I went outside and I tried to spray some of this off. And I thought, oh no, this stuff isn't coming off. Uh, anywhere I was sweating, it just stuck and it stained my skin. Now that's not typical, but it did me. I, if it's not typical, it's going to happen to me. But anyway, Hannah was going to the, the prom that night. And so she had to have some extra help scrubbing. I just remember going in and scrubbing thinking, this stuff is not coming off. And then, um, 
I actually had a stain right here and it was orange and people thought it was a sunburn. They're like, do you sunburn? No, no, it's just paint. Don't you take a bath? No, 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 don't need. Here's what I discovered. I discovered you don't clean up a color run mess paint with more paint. You don't get the paint off of your body by using more paint. Y'all are thinking that's dumb, right? That's really not what I discovered, but it goes along with the sermon. So remember that here in a second and we'll come back to that. Now, every mess that you're involved in um, has some things. We're going to talk about that, but here's the deal. It might be funny that we were all, we chose to get in that mess at the color run. That might be funny, but if you have a financial mess and you make that mess messier, that's not funny. If you have a marriage mess and you make it messier, that's not funny. If you have a, an academic mess and you make your GPS messier, that's not funny. Every mess you're involved in, whether you inherited it, whether you stumbled into it, whether you made bad decisions that got you into that mess, every mess has some bad options. All right. That's the first point you need to remember. So these bad options are things like borrow more. If you're in a financial mess, borrow more or spend more. You got to spend money to make money. People tell you that all the time. Um, lie to cover up your first lie. That's a bad option. Destroy the evidence. Hide under the bed. Send another text to explain the text you already did or delete the tweet that makes you look silly or whatever it is. There's all kinds of things. There's always bad options. And the only bad thing that bad options will do is make your mess messier. Now I did this on purpose. Don't tell me I don't need, by the way, on the back of your cards, when I say to write, write, um, prayer concerns, I don't need suggestions about how I can do my job better. That's not what you do. Not that that's ever happened here. Um, prayer concerns or something like that. That's what's on the back. Anyway, so you don't have to tell me, I know this is wrong. I chose this on purpose because today I want to talk to you about Ur. I want to protect you from Ur. I believe God wants to protect you from your life getting messy Ur. Whether you made the mess or whether someone else made some bad decisions that contributed to the mess that you're in, you can't go back and unmake the mess, but you can always make the mess worse. You can choose a bad option and all it's going to do is make it worse. And, and you're going to be tempted to choose the, uh, the, the bad options because they seem to offer a quick way out of your mess. For those of you who were not born yesterday, is there ever a quick way out of a mess? No, no thank you for playing. And see, here's, here's why this is important. Some of you right now, right this moment, you're being tempted to choose a bad option. And I want you to pay attention today because I believe God wants to teach you something today to help you avoid that messier option. Well, I'm going to tell you a story today, uh, a true story from a thousand years before Christ. And, and one of the things I love about the Bible is, is the Bible is not just stories. The Bible has timeless truth. So we study and we learn who they were talking to. We study the culture. We figure those things out, but there's always a timeless truth that ties it to today. That's why the Bible is the best selling book of all time. It's what differentiates the Bible from any other religious book in any other religion is this one has timeless truth. The other religions, many times it's tied to whatever, uh, century that they were in. But anyway, so I, I'm going to tell you this story about David. And if you want to follow along, it's in first uh, Samuel 24, but we actually have to back up to first Samuel 16 when David is a young shepherd boy. Now, Saul is the king. Saul is the very first king of Israel. They'd asked for a king. God uh, had Samuel anoint Saul king. Saul was a people pleaser and he ple- pleased people more than he pleased God. In fact, he would choose pleasing people over choosing God to the point that God finally says, I reject you. You can no longer be king. Samuel had anointed him king. Samuel was mourning. He's going, this is terrible. Our first king and he's been rejected. 
expected. God says, quit mourning, go to a town, go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, because I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be my next king. You hear the term Bethlehem. Who else was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, David was born in the same city. Now, the first of Jesse's sons comes in front of uh, Samuel, and he's impressive. He looks great. He's handsome. He's big. He's strong. And Samuel thinks this has to be the next king. And, And look what God says about that. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Seven different sons of Jesse come in front of Samuel. God says, nope, 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 nope. Finally, David, the baby of the family comes in. He'd been watching sheep and God says, this is the one get up and anoint him as king. Now there's a huge problem with this. Israel already has a king. What's his name? Saul. So now you have a grown up King Saul and you have a shepherd boy, King David. This is a mess. Now my question is who invited David into this mess? God did, right. Saul is in this mess because he chose bad options. It made his mess messier. David is in the mess because God invited him into the mess. David didn't have to be anointed the next king. God anointed him and invited him into the mess. That's an important distinction. Most of us are in messes because we chose it, not because God led us into it. You can try the God led me into it, but everybody else is going to know whether uh, you made bad choices or not. Now, probably everyone here knows the story of when David became famous. His dad sends him to the front lines. All of his brothers were off fighting in the war. And dad wanted to know about it. Jesse wanted to know about it. So he sends him off. David goes and, and he, he hears, the first thing he does is he sees and he hears this massive nine foot nine inch guy named what? David and what? Goliath. Goliath comes out and he says, come fight me. Somebody come fight me. And he starts defying the army, armies of the living God. He actually starts insulting their God. And David says, someone should do something. Nobody would do anything. And so David said, I'll fight him. Everybody laughs at him. David says, you don't understand. I've killed a lion. I killed a bear. I'm going to kill him too. You didn't know he was gangster. I'm going to kill him too. You didn't know that till today, right? And he did. Little shepherd boy goes out and kills him. And the moment he kills Goliath, his story goes viral. Everybody's talking about it. And I got to ask you this. Who should have been fighting Goliath? Saul. The Bible tells us two different places. Saul is a head taller than any other Israelite. If this is the heavyweight battle, then their heavyweight should be fighting our heavyweight. But anybody in the army should have been fighting this battle. Not a shepherd boy. Nobody would step up. So the shepherd boy steps up. Now, um... Saul was in this mess because he kept choosing bad options and it made it messier. And the whole army that day saw what David did and knew Saul should have done it. And everybody was talking about what David did. Not only were they talking about it, they were writing songs about it. And and the song said, David has killed his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. Well, Saul's a people pleaser and he doesn't want somebody else getting more credit than him. So this ticks him off. Look what it says in the scripture. First Samuel 18, eight, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. I'm going, are you kidding me? I've only killed thousands. He's killed it. He's better than me. And look what he, this is his logic. This is the logic of somebody who's far from God. He says, what more can he get but the kingdom? He just spoke prophetic words. 
He's going to get the kingdom. And then look what it says. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. What it means was he didn't trust him and he actually tried to kill him. We're told right after this in the story, twice, David is playing his harp. Saul uh, had some kind of issue. We don't know if he's bipolar or what, but he would have some issues. And when Saul, uh, when David would play the harp, it would make him feel better. Well, Well, twice when David's playing the harp, Saul picks up his spear and tries to pin him to the wall. How's that for employee problems? Need to report him to HR, right? So um, he eludes him twice. And then, then uh, go ahead and put that up there, Justin, because I don't have verse 12. I added that later. So he, he, he tries to pin him. He eludes it. He can't kill him. So here's what he does. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Saul could tell God's not with me anymore. God is with him. And so here's what he does. He sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaign campaigns in everything he did. He had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him, more afraid, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Whoever is leading is the leader. Doesn't matter who has the title. Saul had the title. He wasn't the leader. David had the respect. He was the leader. So I tell people this all the time. If you think you're leading, look behind you. If there's nobody with you, you're taking a walk. You're not leading anybody. I can't tell you how many times people, I want to lead this. I want to lead this. Okay, lead this. If nobody's following you, you don't have the gift of leadership. And maybe you should follow somebody else. Just saying. Now, uh, I got off on that. Sorry. Sending him away didn't work because he was very successful. So Saul comes up with another idea. I will marry him to my daughter and I'll manipulate him through my daughter. So he offers him his oldest daughter and, and David's very humble. David says, I can't marry the king's daughter. I'm just a lowly shepherd boy. So Goliath, uh, he kills Goliath. His, his reputation goes up. He, he, he leads him in campaigns. His reputation goes up. He's so humble. He won't even try to marry the king's daughter. His reputation keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And here's what Saul was thinking. I'll try to manipulate him through my daughters and I'll send him off to work. Cause here's what it says in, in first Samuel 18, 17, Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Obviously he tried and that failed. Let the Philistines do that. But he keeps being successful and his reputation is getting better. So Saul's mess mess is getting bigger and bigger. So then Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L is the king's daughter. She falls in love with David. David evidently has eyes for her. And Saul says, here's another, a second opportunity to get him into the family. I'll control him through my daughter. Well, David says, I don't have any money. I, I, I can't pay the dowry. And, and King Saul says, oh, oh, don't worry about it. You don't owe me any money. Go out and kill 100 Philistines and bring me proof that you killed them. Cause he's thinking, we'll let the Philistines kill him. Well, David says, really? So he goes out, he and his men kill 200 Philistines. They bring back proof of that. And, and here's how Saul reacted to that. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael loved David, God was with him. He can't manipulate through the daughter because she actually loves him. Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle. And as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. And his name became well known. Saul keeps choosing bad options. His mess gets messier. David's also in this mess because, but he's there because God brought him there. And David is just doing what he's supposed to do. He did not ask to be anointed king. He did not ask for everybody to be a coward in the face of Goliath. He did not ask to lead the campaigns of King Saul. Saul sent him to do that. He did not ask to marry the king's daughter. He's just doing what God told him to do. And every time God blessed him, Saul gets more and more delusional. And that meant David's mess got bigger too. 
So he can't send him away. He's successful. He brings him back again. And again, I guess he's thinking third time is, is a charm. Again, the Bible tells us he picks up a spear, tries to pin him against the wall. That doesn't work. And David says, I'm out of here. He heads for the hills. Literally, <laughs> he goes to the hills. Now, when he's in the wilderness, um, some men start gathering around him. And I want you to see what kind of men. I thought this was funny. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. I call them the triple D boys. They're distressed, debt, discontented. These are the people who gather around David and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. How many men were with him? That's going to be important in just a minute. Verse one of chapter 24. All that was intro. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. Okay, just real quickly. Let me show you what's going on here. Here's a map. Philistines lived here and, and the, the tribe of Judah is over here. So Saul is the king over the nation and they're always fighting with the Philistines. Now in this area is, is one of the most fertile valleys in the world. And there was a trade route that came through there. And so there's wars for, for almost ever people trying to own that trade uh, route. Now over here next to the Dead Sea, this is the Dead Sea. It gets very mountainous. I'm going to show you some pictures of that in just a minute. And it's desert. The Dead Sea is known for the what content in the water? Salt. Nothing can live there. It is very, very bad. Okay. Uh, so someone comes to, to Saul and says, after he's fought with the Philistines, comes to him and says, we've got great intel on David. So look at verse two. So Saul took 3,000 able young men, not the triple D boys, not distressed debt. Dis, you know, these are the able, these are the best of Israel, 3,000 of them from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I just thought this was funny. All right, next picture. Okay, so he says that David is near En Gedi. When we're driving to the Dead Sea, because one of the things we did was you go see the Dead Sea and one of the fun things to do is float in the Dead Sea because I don't care who you are. I, I don't float. In college, I took a PE class and, and I almost flunked because I couldn't float. They worked with me. I was in the special class for floaters and, and they tried to make me float and I kept sinking to the bottom. And she said, oh, anybody can float, relax. And I would relax and I would sink to the bottom and I would just lay there looking at her. Finally, she goes, you can't float. I said, I told you I can't float. Anyway, I can float at the Dead Sea because of the salt content. Now, right next to the Dead Sea, we're driving next to the Dead Sea. And they said, right up there is in Getty. Well, you can't see it because the rest of it, next picture. Here's what it looks like. The crags of the wild goats looks like this. This is desert all around the Dead Sea. And then you see there's a little green down here. If there is rain, it comes down. And so a little bit grows down here. And so the shepherds actually told us, we talked to some shepherds, see the little green spot? We're on the big top of this. See that little green spot down there? That's where the sheep go. Well, it makes sense if they need something, go feed them green. But you better know if you're hiding out in the crags of the wild goats, you better know where the springs are. You're going to die. Next picture. So we're driving. Here's the highway. We're driving. They're going, yeah, I see up there. Up there's where David hid from, from King Saul. And he's going, yeah, I don't believe that for a second. But then you get up there and you see the waterfall. Next, next picture. Now, this is actually in Qumran. Qumran is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Huge, great uh, find for, for Christianity. But anyway, you see all these caves. So in the, in the crags of the wild goats, there's all kinds of caves everywhere. And it makes like, uh, it makes sense that if you were going to hide from somebody, you would hide there. It makes sense that you need to know where the springs are. And if you're going to be chased by 3000 men, when you only have how many 400, you probably should be able to hide. They hide in the uh, caves in, in the, the crags of the wild goats. Okay. Verse three, he came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. This is one of the few references in scripture to someone going to the bathroom. 
There are a couple others. If you want to know, I don't have time to get into, but I will let you know. This one is he's actually going to the bathroom. And, and his army, his 3,000 men army are down in, the, you saw the crags of the wild goats. They're down on the floor. He's up there somewhere and, and he is relieving himself. Now look at this next phrase. David and his men were far back in the cave. The cave where he's going for his potty break. Now, David was a military man, so he probably had scouts out and he probably knew that they were coming. And so I'm, I'm guessing that he split up his 400 men. They hid in different caves. If all 400 of them are in the cave where, where Saul took a potty break, that's even a bigger miracle. Because I'm thinking, what are the odds that Saul comes into the cave where David is? God must love David. He's serving him up on a, he's serving Saul up on a silver platter. Even the triple D guys see this. Look what they say in verse four. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. By this time, lots of folks knew that David had been anointed the next king. You know, he'd been sitting around the campfire at night saying, I'm going to be king someday. If you'll stick with me, you'll have a place in, in my, uh, in my kingdom. And, and, and they're going, today is the day he's right there. The guy who, the guy who wants you dead is in the cave and he's in the most vulnerable position imaginable. Today is the day. And they said, everybody saw Saul walk in. If you walk out and hold his head up, they're going to say, you're the next king. Today is the day. Now, we don't know exactly what David was thinking, but if he's human, he was thinking this, at least at some point. Do unto him as he intends to do unto me. This is not the golden rule, but it's how we act a lot of times, right? In fact, Saul wanted to kill him. So I think he went a step further, do under him, do unto him before he does unto me, because if I'm dead, I can't do unto him as he does do unto me, right? This is what people think in our society. Now he's in this mess because of Saul and Saul's right there. Well, here's the thing at the root of most messes is a breakdown of virtue, virtue. Now that's an old fashioned word and some people don't know what it means. So let me give you some examples of virtue. Integrity, honesty, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. See, this is, this is the law of cause and effect. This is the law of the harvest. You didn't get into a mess by having integrity. You did not get into a mess by being honest, by having self-control, by showing goodness to someone, by, by being faithful. You didn't get into a mess like that. You got into a mess when you ignored virtue. And so you don't, you don't get out of a mess with a failure of virtue. You don't clean up your mess with another failure of virtue. You don't clean up a flood with more water. You don't clean up paint from a color run with more paint. Two wrongs do not make a what? Right. Here's, here's the formula. Uh, the formula was in there somewhere. Did it leave? There it is. My mess, you can say my mess, plus another mess or plus a bad option, option, does not equal no mess. That, that, that's the best we had. That looks like a hashtag. It's not equal. It's supposed to be does not equal. Hashtag no mess. No. It equals a bigger mess, right? So if you ignore virtue, you will make a mess. Now look what happens. So they're in the cave. Then David crept up unnoticed 
at some point between the men and, and Saul, David realized that he was about to make his mess messier. He was about to kill the king, his father-in-law, his kid's granddad. So let me ask you this. Would he have been justified? Yes. Go ahead and next slide. He would have been justified. Saul was trying to kill him. He would have been justified. At least twice he tried to pin him with a spear, right? Third time. Okay, next. Was it what everyone expected him to do? Yes. So, yes, yes. Was it the virtuous thing to do? No. David realized what was about to happen was going to be a part of his story. Hey, granddad. Tell us again how you became king. Well, your great granddad was taking a, whatever they called it back then, a a break. And I snuck up and I slit his throat. Oh, granddad, you're such a brave warrior. He got him when he was vulnerable. Yeah. He gets home and Michael, his wife says, what happened to my dad? I don't know, sweetie. Somebody killed him. It was bad. I don't know. Good news is I'm king, which means you're queen. Woo! Right? Even though it was justified, even though it was what everyone expected him to do, and it was probably what Saul deserved, David would have regretted it for the rest of his life. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. When I was a kid, I didn't understand this next part because the next part, he says, afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. I thought, what's the big deal? As a kid, you know, I heard all these stories. He cut off his robe. No big deal. Well, if you attack anything belonging to the king, it is the same as attacking the king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. This is big. He said, God put him in place. I have no business replacing what God has put into place. It is not my job to replace him or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord. I think the the triple D guy said, well, you may not feel, you may feel bad about it, but we don't, we'll kill him and you can keep your hands clean. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way as a kid. When they read that to me, I said, you're kidding me. He let him go. Now it was very, very hot The Dead Sea is just, it's dead. Everything around is dead. And so Saul finally comes back. His 3,000 men are like, man, that took a long time. Somebody helps him up on his donkey because the king probably rode a donkey. And they're just about to leave when David shows up at the mouth of the cave. Yoo-hoo! That's what I would have done. Yoo-hoo! And look what he says, verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And I think Saul looked at his men and goes, is that who I think it is? Yep. You see, everyone in Saul's army saw Saul go in that cave, saw Saul come out that cave, and then saw David walk forward. Everyone in Saul's army knew what just did not happen. Look what David says. This day you've, you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. He said, I did for you what your bodyguards didn't do. I looked out for you, buddy. 
I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because lowercase L because he is the Lord's anointed uppercase L you may not be acting like the Lord's anointed, but he put you in place. So I'm not going to do anything against you. He says, see my father talking to Saul, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. I've done nothing wrong, but you buddy. (laughs) And God's the original Avenger. He doesn't need iron man. God is the Avenger. Some of you are going to get that later, but my hand will not touch you as the old saying, this I thought was hilarious as the old saying goes from evil doers come evil deeds. That was a slap. So my hand will not touch you from the moment he killed Goliath to this moment. David's reputation kept going higher and higher and higher, even though Saul's mess kept getting bigger and bigger. Do you want to know why? Say yes. Thank you. David chose virtue over hurt you. We don't do that, do we? We want to hurt you if you've hurt me. Saul kind of puts his his tail between his legs, kind of puts his head down. He says, you are the better man. And he goes back to Jerusalem with his 3000 men. Seven chapters later, a random arrow pierces Saul's armor and Saul dies. Who do you think becomes king? David. Every mess comes prepackaged with some bad options. If you choose the options, they will get messier. Your mess will get messier. And eventually your mess is going to be reduced to one or two sentences. I don't care how big your mess is right now in the future. You're going to look back at that mess and you're going to, you're going to say one or two sentences about it. Five years ago, I went through a painful divorce. Four years ago, I, I, I went through um, a bankruptcy. Four years ago in my life, my mom and dad and my sister were killed in a car wreck outside of Amarillo. That, that's just a statement of fact at this point. The mess is not the story. Your response to the mess is the real story. Your response is actually bigger than the story itself. Somehow between the men and Saul, David asked himself, what story do I want to tell? So that's my question to you today. What story do you want to tell? See, when, when David became king and and people said, David, tell us how you became king. His response to Saul was the real story itself. And it's been told for 3000 years. So what story do you want to be told about you? Which, which options do you want to be attached to your life? The rest of your life? I can answer that for you. You want the virtuous option. You want people to say, Oh, he, he told the truth. Oh, he came clean. He paid back whatever he'd stolen. He did the right thing. She did the right thing. You want the virtuous option. If you want the virtuous option, you better start choosing virtuous options today. Some of you have told me that your life is a mess. When we've come up here on the altar, some of you put your cards on the altar and you say, my life is a mess. Well, my question is, how are you going to address it? Are you going to choose a bad option? It's going to get worse. Are you going to choose the virtuous option? Are you going to follow Jesus out of your mess? See, when David was asked, how did you become king? His answer was, I did what no one expected me to do. I did what no one in my situation would do. And we've been telling this story for 3000 years. You see, when Jesus comes to you, and this is what we've been saying this whole series, he comes to you and he says, follow me out of your mess. When you follow him out of the mess, Jesus says, I'm going to take you by a whole bunch of options that everybody says you should follow. You should do that. 
Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to lead you past those options so that when somebody tells your story in the future, you won't be a liar. You won't be a hypocrite. You won't be unfaithful. You'll be a shining example for your family to follow. Choose virtue. If you want to be that kind of story, if you want to hear people say that about you, dads, what do you want your kids to say about you? Your grandkids. I learned my work ethic from my dad. I learned honesty and integrity from my dad. My dad said he was going to do something. He did it. I want to be that type of man. I learned about church and how important Christianity is from my mama. I've dedicated my life to the kingdom of God because of my mama. Love my dad. I want to be like my dad, but, but the, but his relationship was Christ with Christ. He wasn't the spiritual leader in my home. My mama was. And the reason I'm here today is because of my mama. What kind of stories do you want your kids and your grandkids to tell about you? You better start choosing virtue now. If you want them to tell those stories, then we're going to finish. We're going to be a few minutes over. Get over it. I didn't ask your permission. Um, this song, that, this video I'm going to play you is Hillary Scott's Thy Will Be Done. And, and I'm getting emotional when I, when I hear, God, I can just hear the first chord of a song and it just melts me. She, she lost a child and, and wrote this song as a response to that. And she said, four words stuck out. Thy will be done. I don't know what your mess is. But if you'll follow Jesus, he's going to lead you out. And if you'll trust him, he's going to lead you out. He's not going to say it's over there. Go that way. He's not going to hand you a map. He says, I am the way. Follow me. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to say those words at some time. I don't understand. But thy will be done. Watch this and we'll be dismissed.
messes in this life are unavoidable. Your response, though, is your choice. I just pray that somebody will hear this message and, and make the right choice. Um, next week, we're going to do something. I'm pumped about it. It's a surprise. <laughs> but if you know people who have messes, they need to be here next week. Um, if you've got folks that you, you want them to hear some of these messages, get a, get a CD and take them, but invite them to come next week. Um, one of the things we're going to do is a cardboard testimony. If you don't know what that is, you'll, you'll see next week, but, but you need to be here. We're going to finish up our series on messes next week with some real life examples of God leading people out of their mess. That's what I'm pumped for you to see. God still works miracles for people who trust him. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. And I thank you that, that um, the resurrection, although it happened 2,000 years ago, it's still impacting lives today. And I pray, God, that we would catch on to that and, and we would never get tired of seeing people follow you out of messes and seeing their lives transformed. Raise us up and, and use us for your power and your glory for the future, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.